Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I am John Siegel, and I'm joined by Sherelle McMillan, Rob Harrington, and then appearing as a guest for the first time with me, we've got Sean Moran. So everyone wanted to say thank you guys for joining me. For those of us in North Carolina, the weather outside could be a little bit better, but we are still recording through the snow. And you know, we're all as, as fortunate as Sean to be out there in sunny L.A. Yeah, I, w- I won't rub it in, but it's pretty nice nice out here as I watch the watch the sunset. Nice. I think uh, Sherelle was saying he's got about maybe eight inches of snow. And then Rob, what about you? D- did you guys get snow where you're at? Yeah, I'm in Durham and we got, we have, I would say probably about eight inches as well. It slammed North Carolina, but hopefully everyone's staying safe. Now for this podcast, we asked our audiences both on the message boards and on Twitter for some questions. There were a couple of general themes. The one that I wanted to start with, guys, is Zion Williamson. He's making his decision this weekend. Rel, you wrote about it on the Weekly Scoop. This is probably the recruitment that's on the forefront of everyone's minds. You know, Rel, since you wrote the piece, we'll start with you. What's your thoughts on Zion for right now? Yeah, so he's announcing uh, Saturday night uh, from Spartanburg Day, which is where he attends high school. It's going to be at 8 p.m., so you know, definitely a different time for a, a press conference, and the public is invited. And then he's going to choose among Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Clemson, South Carolina, and uh, Kansas. So we wrote about this on the message boards and talked about it. Usually we have a pretty good idea of what a player is going to do by the time they make an announcement. But as of yet, there's no really definitive feel for exactly what Zion's going to do. The conventional wisdom is that he's going to go to Clemson because they've been around for a while and it's the hometown team and a variety of other reasons. But until he says it, it's, it's really in doubt because it's been a very tight lip recruitment. Rob, do you have anything to add to that one? Well, I mean, certainly I defer to Sherelle on that. He's been on top of it from the beginning. I, I have been skeptical about Carolina's chance with, with Zion for quite a while now, at least a calendar year. Some of that, I think, probably was more due to the fact they had been struggling so much with elite players. Of course, they have popped through that bubble here with Nasir Little. But I think in Zion's case, I don't think that he is necessarily as drawn to Blue Bloods as a lot of the guys. I, I think he he really is a if someone who enjoys the idea i think of representing his home state being close to his family more than in just a lip service way that a lot of recruits say those things so i i agree with the conventional wisdom to the extent that i have a feel for it sean let me ask you a little bit of a different take on that how important do you think zion is to the 2018 class that's a good question. I think, you know, similar to other recruitments, it would be a, a nice to have. Uh, I mean, I think I'm in Rob's camp. I would be very surprised if he does does choose UNC. You know, I think maybe the one thing UNC does have going for it is the movement from uh, Luke May playing the four to the five. So there's Luke May p- playing the center, and now there's open kind of stretch four position. But with the class that they currently have of Kobe and Leakey and Naz, you know, right now they've put together a very, a very strong class. So obviously it would be great to get Zion, but I just don't think it would be realistic. And at the same point, they put together, you know, two McDonald's All-Americans and a 6'8", basically a 6'8 guard. So I think it would be a nice to have, but I'm very, very high on the class that UNC has coming in. Yeah, adding someone of Zion's level is obviously going to help the the class out. I think this year it would even be 
just more important because of uh, the fact that Caroline al- already has a commitment from Nazir Little. And I remember when Nas was on the podcast with me and Rel, he talked about the fact that he can envision himself and Zion just being a dominant force if they were to pick the same school. How do you guys, you know, whoever wants to answer this, jump in. But what are y'all's thoughts on a potential pairing of Zion and Nas? Well, I'll I'll jump in. For North Carolina, it'd be different from, from anything they've really had in quite some time in that both Nasir and Zion are two phenomenal athletes. But besides the athleticism, they're both really, really powerful. And that's not something that North Carolina has had in quite some time, you know, a duo like that. And I think they would feed off of each other. There is some redundancy, however, um, in some of the things they like to do. They they are both, um, as we said, powerful. They both can play in the post. They both try to stretch things out to three a little bit. I think Little is a much better shooter than Zion is at this point. So th- there is a little bit of, of uh, similarities there between the two, but I think they would find a way to coexist and it would give North Carolina probably you know, two of the best finishers in the senior class. And that's something that we've seen this year. They have a little bit of trouble with is finishing near the basket. I would echo some of that too, uh, to Sherelle's points about how there are some redundancies, but I think, I think together they would provide a lot of balance. If you had one real question about each of those guys for Zion, it's how does he score in a half court game? Obviously he's an excellent transition player. He's a great finisher Uh, to the extent they were able to get him the ball inside. I think he would have a, He'd be very efficient down low, but could they do much for him in the way they do Luke May, where he could catch the ball out high? I don't think that he necessarily would command a lot of respect as a jump shooter. Therefore, even if he can't do that, let's assume for sake of argument, he does not come in as a shooter. I think that's where Little and he really do complement each other fairly well because Little's jump shot has improved so much. He is not the most slithery athlete. I think people will have correctly evaluated him as a power wing. Uh, that's what I used to think he was a combo forward or hybrid forward, however you want to call it. Now I think he's a pure wing, but he's still a power wing. And I think between the two of them, it because they're so physically developed, you know, it wouldn't be quite the, the physical adjustment that you're accustomed to seeing. No matter where Zion goes, I'm very intrigued to see how his game does translate to the college level. Uh, in, in AAU, in high school, he has the ball in his hands a lot and he can pretty much take anybody to the basket. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who he chooses and if they can space the floor around him to let him have those open driving lanes. Because as Rob said, if uh, you can kind of play back and let him, let him shoot the ball. So it'll be definitely interesting to see how his game adjusts at the next level. This will be the final question that's Zion-centric here. The question came in from BHUNC fan on Twitter, and it's a sentiment that I've seen on the boards as well. He asked if UNC will go after Ed Montgomery if Zion does not commit to the heels. So we can answer that. And then also, do you guys see Carolina pursuing anyone else from the 2018 class? Or is it basically Zion or bust? Sean, we'll start with you on this one. Sure. Well, EJ Montgomery, he's interesting. And he's somebody that the inside Carolina staff has definitely been tracking since his freshman year when he was first at USA camp. And I know, and Terrell can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's either his father or grandfather that that has ties in North Carolina. So we were always curious to see if they were going to start recruiting them or recruiting him, but there's never really a a strong push. And right now, if, if Zion goes elsewhere, I could see them maybe throwing some feelers out there, but I don't think there'd be a, a strong push uh, for Montgomery. 
Now, you know, come the spring, you never know what can happen, and maybe Montgomery is still available in the spring, and somebody leaves or, or something happens, and I could see maybe them making a late run at Montgomery or somebody else that uh, is open at that point in time. Yeah, I, I think Montgomery, actually, his recruitment, he's in a position of strength and that he's going to be soon, as, as soon as uh, Zion commits on Saturday, he'll be the highest remaining forward post player um, left in the senior class. And it'd be advantageous for him to kind of wait it out, see who leaves, um, see who goes pro, see who transfers, see what coaches move on and go to different places and then evaluate his options from there. So that actually is a good thing for North Carolina because it can do the same thing. It can see if someone leaves, it can see, you know, if, if someone, you know, isn't playing up to par or, you know, any, any variety of factors the coaching staff can evaluate. They can, as Sean said, put out feelers and then go from there. I do think, though, in the end, that North Carolina's roster is is pretty much set for next season. The three freshmen, in addition to the roster now, with maybe a chance of a, a player or two making a surprise decision and, and heading elsewhere, you know, going pro or something like that. Uh, but I think the, the roster is fairly set. And what Nasir does, because he is a power wing, as Rob said, he can function as that hybrid forward in spurts like Theo Pinson has done this year. So in essence, they already have the you know combo forward on the roster he's just more of a three as opposed to a true combo forward all right so then as i mentioned we'll move on from the zion topic for now and let's talk about the three guys that carolina does have committed leaky black colby white and then as we talked about nazir little the question came from a bunch of different people on twitter we had the truth asking how does the 2018 trio compare to trios in 2007, 10, and 2014? There were a couple questions on the message board asking, you know, if Kobe White, if he might come in and dominate the college game like he does in high school, or if he might struggle. So let's just kind of just throw it out there as a general and just bounce it around. What are y'all's expectations for these three guys? And we'll just leave it at that for right now, and we'll just see where the conversation goes, actually. So... For how the, the 2018 class does, uh, I'll start with, with Naz Little. He's the, the highest rated. Everybody expects him to be one and done. I, I think, you know, he has a good chance of starting. Coach Williams always tells him about kind of filling the Theo Pinson role. You know, for me, watching him, I, I still want to watch him more. When I was down at the City of Palms, uh, the game I was at, he didn't play because of injury. So I've seen him in, in person a few times, but the one thing that did impress me watching him on TV was his shooting ability. Uh, I know that was a big question mark uh, over the past few months, and it, it does look like he's been, been shooting the ball better as well as handling the ball um, a lot more with a lot more fluidity. I know when I first watched him and what Rob alluded to was maybe he's a little stiff or kind of a straight-line driver, but he, he's shown a lot of improvements in a, in a short time span. So I don't think he's going to come in and ESPN is going to be featuring him as a, you know, watch this one and done player. He's putting up 20 and 10, but I think he has the, the capability to put together a strong, a strong season. Yeah, we talked to uh, Nasir's coach really, I guess, a couple of days ago, and he was adamant that Nasir would really come in and help North Carolina with rebounding just because, you know, he's six seven, He's very athletic. 
Um, and we talked about how powerful he just kept saying he's powerful. He's a powerful athlete. Yeah, he can come in and grab rebounds. And, you know, if you watched, he had two games that were on ESPN recently. They played IMG Academy as well as Montverde, two of the best teams in the country. And that was one of the things, in addition to his scoring, that really, really impressed me was his ability to go in and just kind of crash the boards. And, you know, we've seen it this season through North Carolina's first, you know, 17, 18 games. Rebounding is at the core of what really everything Roy Williams wants to do. So he has a tendency to, you know, play guys who are going to go out there and and um, have high motors and rebound. And Nasir, his motor is as high as anyone in the class um, right there alongside Kobe White. And he's a really good rebounder. So if he, you know, depending on who's on the roster, you know, he could be starting at the three or uh, he could still be coming off the bench, but playing a lot of minutes. So he's he's very important to next year's team, regardless of whether he starts or come off, comes off the bench. I think he has a, a great chance to start because in terms of a comparison, and I am sure that I will regret this, but I'll do it anyway. I, I think he will play a role similar to the sophomore year Jerry Stackhouse in the way that Dean Smith used him on the 1995 team when they they were playing small. And the difference, of course, they played a lot of zone. But if you were to watch the 1995 Kentucky game, for example, Stackhouse was sort of a power wing who also was who had a lot of responsibility on the defensive glass. And that, I think, is what Sherell is speaking to, that Little likes to rebound in the same way that Stackhouse did. He'll stick his nose in there. It's a point of pride for him. And I think Roy Williams will love that. I mean, obviously, he'll love that. I think additionally, like Stackhouse, he is not a dynamic ball handler. I don't think he's quite as quick as Stackhouse. I think he's a little bigger. But I think he'll hit some threes just enough to soften people up, sort of like a, a speed power running back. You know, think of it that way, not a not a side to side guy, but I think he'll be fantastic. I think he'll be the best freshman they've they've had in multiple years. Maybe going back to Harrison Barnes, I have very high expectations, and this is coming from someone who tries to set expectation at at a reasonable level. Usually, I'm still trying to do that here, but I'll be surprised if he's not an impact player as a freshman. Do any of you guys potentially see Little as good enough to be the one and done? This has been a theme on the message boards that. You know, Carolina is suffering from a stigma of not being a destination school for one-and-done players. Could Little be that guy to break it? I know people maybe thought Jalik Felton. I think it's safe to say that after the years Felton had so far, I mean, I would personally be shocked if he tested the NBA waters, but, you know, could Little possibly be that guy? I would say so. I mean, I, I have every expectation that he'll be a one-year player. I, I, don't, I think that's everyone's expectation. The only wrench in things, and this is, applies to everyone next year, is that the 2019 draft probably will be the one where you have the one and done from the 2018 class combining with all of the high school, top high school guys from 2019. So it could be a fairly daunting draft. I don't know that that would affect him, but it's certainly when you, when you start evaluating decisions, that's the type of thing that could enter into the mindset of a Cameron Johnson, for example. If, if he is thinking about NBA draft status, you might like to avoid 2019. That's the only caveat to it. But otherwise, I, I think he's a one and done. Uh, you're not, you never know for sure with health and all that, but I, that's my expectation for him. I agree with you there, Rob. I mean, I think Little, as, some, as uh, you said, he's probably the best freshman that Carolina has had since Barnes. But a lot of people are very high on Kobe White as well. And I think a lot of people have fallen in love with his film because the guy just scores baskets. But I think the big caveat to that is that he does it against high school kids. 
And we've seen time and time again, guys who dominate in high school, it may not translate at least initially to college. So, Rel, talk to me about Kobe and what your expectations might be for him. I think for Kobe, I don't, I don't know if he'll be a one and done. I don't think he has that mindset at all. Now, certainly we can talk about two and done, you know, leaving after his sophomore year. I think that is more um, possible than one and done. I think for Kobe, it's going to be opportunity because um, depending upon what the roster looks like, let's just assume North Carolina's entire roster is back. You know, Kenny Williams is not going to be displaced from the starting lineup because he's a Roy Williams favorite. He does everything you know, pretty well. Um, He's become a great shooter, matching the reputation he had in high school. So he's not going anywhere at the two spot. Um, And one thing that has kind of been a trend over the last, I guess, three or four games is that Brandon Robinson is getting a lot more playing time, especially at the two spot. He's become essentially the backup two behind Kenny Williams. and He's past Andrew Playtech. Brandon Robinson barring something crazy will be on the roster next year as well. And so Kobe, his position is a little more uh, full for North Carolina next year as opposed to Nasir. So that's a little bit of a difference. Nasir is going to have more opportunity to impact to show what he can do. But Roy Williams, first off, loves Kobe White. So I think people need to realize that. He has uh, praised him a number of times since he signed his letter of intent. And I always read what Roy Williams says on the releases that come out after the player is signed. You can kind of tell what he's thinking about a player and what he's going to be at North Carolina next year by what Roy Williams says. And he just had effusive praise for Kobe. It talked about his scoring, talked about how excited he was to have him commit to Carolina. So he's going to play. He's going to play a lot. Um, but I think... Just, it's just going to be that loaded North Carolina roster at the guard spot that's going to keep him from potentially being a one and done. But I think he'll be fine um, as far as scoring. You know, he's going to have to adjust to finishing at the basket, those kind of things against taller players. But he just has the drive and the motor that Roy Williams loves and that will get him on the court and that will make him successful, I think. I'm so. pretty excited to to watch Kobe play. I, I know in the Twitter feed there was one question of, uh, kind of the Joe Forte uh, to Kobe White comparison. And I was trying to rack my brain. You know, this is going back a long time ago, but living in, in Virginia at the time, I got to watch Keith Bogans and Forte basically come up through the ranks at the Matha, then obviously at UNC and and as he went on. And I, I would love Rob's thoughts on this, but from my memory, Forte was a very, I'd say a little bit more of a smoother player, you know, kind of a really good jump shooter and could catch the alley-oop post up. So he could do a little bit of everything, but I'd say he was very, very smooth and under control where I think Kobe, you know, at times he might drive Roy crazy with, with some of his moves, but he's so quick and can stop so quickly. You know, he can get the ball in the wing, say one dribble and, and just pull up and the defender will have no chance of blocking it with how, with how quick he is. But I would just love, Rob, to see your thoughts on that that comparison. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think certainly in terms of, confidence it definitely makes sense the high school version of forte actually was not a great three-point shooter he was pretty good but where he was really good was getting into seams and shooting from medium range and and that's something i think uh, kobe white knows that he has to get better at he's not bad at it but his release his release needs a little bit of tweaking he has always had a bit of a low release i think that has gotten better uh, most importantly, I think for him will be, as Sherelle said, he, he just has to adjust to the college game. And if he's going to make the full-time transition to point guard, he certainly has to learn how to run an offense. He has to get better. He has to get a lot better defensively, You know, as with Forte, too, at that age. I think what Roy Williams really sees in him and really loves about him is, of course, all these things are going to be there when you bring in a freshman they have to learn. But he really, Kobe, that is, really loves to compete. And someone who will put his head down 
and attack like that, you know, over and over and over and to play with at such a high work rate. When you fit that on top of Carolina's system, you can see what a natural fit it is and why they were so excited to get him early. It's very much so the Joel Berry mindset. Obviously, you know, grain of salt, I'm not comparing him to Joel Berry. I know Joel Berry was MVP of the Final Four. He's, he's been to the National Championship game twice, all that stuff. But the mindset is very, very similar. It's, you know, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done to get to the rim. And a lot of times, positively and negatively, Joel Berry puts his head down and he goes to the rim. Kobe White can do that, um, and I, I think he'll be very successful at it, not only because he's a, a good finisher, but also because he's, you know, he's a legit 6'4", 6'5". So he has the height to, and the speed and the quickness and the ability to stop on a dime, as Sean said, and that's going to help him a, a lot. So it, it that mindset that Rob's talking about to compete is not dissimilar from Joel Berry. And Nasir Little has that as well, and that's something that people always talk about North Carolina lacks is that the fire, the intensity, whatever platitude you want to use, whatever euphemism you want to use for that. But those two guys have it in abundance. So Rob mentioned mentioned this, the possibility of, of playing point guard and, and Roy kind of recruiting him as a, as a combo guard. But I think the big question for next year is, is who is the primary ball handler? Uh, you know, right now, Jalik has been struggling. Seventh Woods still hasn't fully proven himself. And Kobe is a great scorer, but is he is he a, a, a true point guard? So I'm just curious next year how you guys see the point guard position shaping out. I think it's pretty funny that of all the players on the roster and you have all these guys who are point guard size, the, really the one with the point guard mentality is Leaky Black. Um, but of course, he's 6'8", and that may simply not be realistic for him to play there full time, certainly not defensively. I think White can do it. I think in his case... Like a Joel Berry, you probably would need to, you know, turn down his shot attempts a little bit. But he's a pretty good passer, and I, I like how low he gets. So I think he'll be able to to dribble in traffic. I think that will be okay. I think part of what has been frustrating for both Seventh Woods and Julie Felton is their turnover rates have been high, and part of that is due to the fact they're a little loose with the ball. I think Kobe actually is the tightest handler. He takes some risks too, of course, but I think his his dribbling style is a little bit lower, and that will help him out. It's just it, there's going to be it's going to be strong competition for point guard, and I I don't think you can rule any of those guys out. I don't think you can rule Jaleek Felton, Seventh Woods, KJ Smith, the transfer from Pacific, uh, son of Kenny Smith, who's walking on Leaky Black or Kobe White. I don't think you can rule any of those guys out, and that's something that I guess will be determined over you know summer workouts and then as they get into practice uh, next October. I think it is a very interesting question about the point guard. And we haven't talked about him too much, but, you know, Leaky Black, I know his coach has also gave some quotes to Inside Carolina lately. What do you guys think about Leaky? Because he's kind of, I feel like, the enigma in this class. I mean, 6'8", the point guard mentality, like you said, Rob, but do you really think he could play point guard in college being 6'8"? Like I said, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that, definitely on defense. I think he, he has the mentality for it. Similar to the way you saw Derek Phelps play, I think that's how he would play point guard. Sort of, he, he's a catch and look guy. He's not one of the modern players, and it, it drives me crazy sometimes how now every player immediately starts dribbling when they receive the ball. And Carolina's guys have done that too. Kendall Marshall would occasionally sort of stop and look. That's also Leaky's style. I think two things he would have to overcome would be one, maybe they could flip him with a combo guard defensively. I mean, that's not unheard of. The second thing would be, does he have the attacking style? that Roy Williams really wants out of that position. And, and I don't know because he hasn't necessarily shown that consistently in his career. You know, he has to be able to put pressure on the defense, not just 
get them into an offense. I mean, the game has changed. So can he apply pressure? Can he run the primary break? Will defenses respect him as a scorer in some way? I think because they have guys who definitely will apply pressure. I mean, if Jaleek Felton gets it going, he will be a consistent problem for defenses. And Kobe White, I think, too, will get in there. and Whatever mistakes he makes will be mistakes of commission because he's always going to attack. And so I think that will be the balancing test that Roy Williams has to apply. It'll be very interesting to see. I don't I don't have real high expectations for Leakey as a freshman. I think physically he has some ways to go, unlike the other two freshmen. But I think he'll get there eventually, even if he doesn't become a, you know, the point guard. Certainly, I think you'll see facilitating be a, a big part of his role. John, have you ever seen a player come into Carolina with, I guess, the measurables of Leaky Black? No, he's definitely definitely somebody that you know is not the typical Carolina Carolina recruit. Six eight, long, lanky, can handle the ball, as, as Rob and Shirell have, have said. So it'll be be interesting to see how he does. He's kind of bounced around the last few years. I think once again, as Rob said, physically as well as mentally, you know, I think for him. I could see an ACC play, probably not a lot of playing time. Uh, I think, you know, his big weakness is is kind of his lack of aggressiveness at times. So I could see as a freshman, Kobe playing well and, and Little playing well, but I could see Leakey struggling, but starting to figure out figure it out a little bit more as a sophomore and a junior. So I think for him, it's more of a four-year or three to four-year long-term approach of how he does and not... You know, if he's not setting the world on fire as a freshman, kind of counting him out, because I really think once he gets in the weight room and continues to add strength and, and develops, he'll, he'll really become a, a unique player for UNC. All right, let's turn our focus to the 2019 class for the final segment of this podcast. We got this question on the message board where someone just asked point blank, when is Roy going to move on from the Wendell Moore recruitment? I personally don't think that Roy is ready to give up on more at this point, but Rel, you, you've written about him a bunch of times. What do you think is going on with that one right now? Well, I mean, people have to realize he's a junior in high school. Like <laughs> he just started the spring semester of his junior year of high school. So just because a coach offers you as a freshman doesn't mean you need to make a decision by the time, you know, you're a, you're a junior. Um, it doesn't work that way. I mean, Wendell, by all accounts, he was close to a decision in the fall. He had kind of made up his mind where he wanted to go, and then some things changed behind the scenes, and he's kind of reopened his recruitment. I mean, that's that's his right, and I don't think Roy Williams is going to just all of a sudden drop a player who he's been recruiting for two years, the second youngest player he's ever offered a scholarship to at UNC, who is, a, by all accounts, a, a great kid who a lot of people like on and off the court, who would represent UNC well and just happens to be one of the 25 best players in the country. So you can see why people are frustrated because he has had a UNC offer for two years and it's kind of, you know, one week it seems like North Carolina leads and the next week people are wondering why he hasn't been back to campus and it's kind of going back and forth, but you don't just drop out of the race for elite talent like that, especially when there aren't any character uh, issues at all. So they've started doing their due diligence with other wing players in the 2019 class. But I think you'll see Roy hold on for another couple of months without offering anyone else. And then if uh, Wendell isn't ready to to commit anywhere, let alone North Carolina, then I think you'll see the Tar Heels, you know, start to offer other players and really cast a wider net. Now, do you think that uh, Roy Williams is still confident about landing more? And I'll direct that question to Rob for this one. Well, I mean, actually, Sherelle would be the best person to answer it. I think the most important thing, though, you know, like you said, is this is a junior in high school and he's a young junior. And he to have that kind of attention and 
that caliber of scholarship offer is an awful lot to process. I think if it gets into April, May, and you feel like it's not coalescing and it's going to wind it up and finish it one way or the other, then I think they just as a matter of good practices would have to open it up more aggressively. I don't think it's untoward of him not to commit immediately or to change his schedule. I know there were some, you know, maybe some mixed signals there. But beyond that, I, I think it makes sense to stick in there, you know, remembering that the most painful recruiting misses of the past decade had been, you know, probably Brandon Ingram, you know, to, mm-hmm. to lose the in-state players. And so I think you know, Kobe White represents a great step in a direction. So does Leaky Black. Getting the best player in a class would be huge for the program. And that, that's something they are very working very hard to reestablish. Well, who are some other 2019 wings and Rob that do you think the Carolina staff might be looking at? I think it's still a little bit early. I mean, part of it is that national analysts are very, very down on that class. And the other Mm -hmm. thing to remember, and people aren't talking about this enough, if the one and done rule goes away, we already talked about this in a college player 2019 draft scenario. Now, all of a sudden, you're back to where you have to worry about the worst thing that can happen is if you offer elite prospects and someone actually commits, and then you nurse this commitment for nine months, say, guy signs in November, and then in time for the draft deadline, you lose a player to the NBA. So I think it now will be a two-step process. You A, is this person good enough for us to recruit? You know, can we get them all the usual stuff that they have been having to process? And now you add to that, well, are they too good? And is, is there too much risk? Because we know in the past that you know, Roy Williams will back off someone if he thinks they're going to go pro. They basically did that with Dwight Howard. I mean, had they had this sort of open offer, open offer to him, but they knew that he was gone. They actively backed away from Sean Livingston when it became clear that he was not going to college. So I think that will be the mindset again. I don't know exactly who in that class fits the bill, but I think it's a wrinkle that, you know, as we're talking about these prospects in 2019, is this person in the range who might go directly to the NBA? And and Rob, what you described, it's exactly what happened with J.R. Smith. You know, side with Carolina, was all set to go, had a great McDonald's All-American game and decided to turn pro. And so... You know, North Carolina ended up not needing him because they won the championship the year he was supposed to be there. But, you know, the Tar Heels were left kind of high and dry. They only had two wings on the roster and they had David Noel playing in uh, playing some spot time. So uh, to your point, I, I thought J.R. Smith is exactly what you're talking about. The next question I had for you guys is looking ahead to kind of the roster composition for that 2019 class. What positions do you think are going to be most important for the Heels? Sean, get your thoughts on that. I guess at, at that point, you're you're losing Luke May, who's going to be obviously a big scorer this year, then next year. And you should have potentially still Sterling Manley and Brooks. So I really think, you know, along with the wings, which we talked about, but kind of the four position in both the 2019 and, and 2020 classes, just kind of going to the wings. One guy I kind of like that UNC has, I think, looked at, but not really not really gone after hard is Josh Green from, from IMG. But yeah, I really think the wing wing position and then even going a little farther down the road, 2020, I know UNC is over the summer, they're sending some assistant coaches out and not really diving in deep into that class, which is typical for them. They, they usually like to wait and, and get a good evaluation. But Xavier Foster is just a name that played really well at the USA camp, 6'10 guy, and he's from Iowa. So I know that was kind of C.B. McGrath territory um, when he was here, but it will be interesting to see if, if UNC does try to really recruit the Midwest like they, they did over the last few years. Then to open it up to all of you guys, who are some 2019 names 
that have stood out so far. They may not necessarily be Carolina targets now, but who are some potential kids that are playing at a high enough level to maybe earn, you know, a visit from an, an assistant coach or potentially even Roy Williams himself? Well, the, you know, they've already offered a few players in 2019, so they have offers out to a few big guys. Uh, Matthew Hurt, Will Baker, Armando Bacot, Vernon Carey, James Wiseman, you know, a couple of the guys I'm, I'm skeptical about their chances with, but they are actively, based upon what they've offered, you can tell they definitely want a big guy. They have talked about, or Roy Williams has been to Ohio to see Alonzo Gaffney, who I know is turning into kind of a message board legend. Um, so <laughs> Roy Williams went and saw him in November, and more than likely he'll be up to see him in, in the next few weeks. So you can see that they want a wing because they've offered Wendell. They also have an offer out to uh, Josh Nickelberry, who is a Fayetteville native. They have their point guard in 2019, Jeremiah Francis, who's been sidelined for a little while. So you kind of see the makings of what the class looks like. So it looks like definitely a point guard, probably a wing, and then one or two big guys, depending upon the scholarship situation. So all of those guys are very good. They definitely are going for the best of the best. I think that might be, Sean or, or Rob, you can correct me. I think those might be like the five highest rated big guys in the 2019 class. Um, so that's what they're looking for. And, you know, I, I'm of the players I've actually seen in person. I, I think Vernon Carey is 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 kind of head and shoulders above the rest of them. James Wiseman was good, and I understand why he's ranked where he is. But to me, Carey is the superior player. No, I was just going to say, I mean, in t- now in terms of the, the, the top players, Wiseman, I don't see him as a realistic shot to visit maybe he does and i'll be proven wrong but skeptical on on him uh, vernon carey got to see him a lot and you know normally he'd be kind of the big that that roy would love to love to coach uh, his dad played in the nfl for eight years uh, offensive lineman so you know has those athletic genes but he's kind of a big kid working on on shedding some weight but really explosive off two feet and can shoot outside but kind of definitely the big that roy loved to love to recruit so It'll be interesting to see what happens with, with his recruitment, but I know a guy you touched on, Will Baker, uh, in your article today. Very intrigued to see how, how that recruitment develops. I know it kind of came out of out of the blue at the end of the summer, but he you know, he kind of definitely has a, a good skill set where he can he can shoot it and, and has size. So and also he's not being recruited by, you know, the Dukes, Kentuckys, et cetera. So I think he might be one that they really, really try to push on. I don't mean to be lazy, but when you see Will Baker, it's it's kind of hard because he's left-handed, he's tall, he's got some athleticism. It's just hard not to think Rafe LaFrance. And I, I know it's <laughs> that's 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 the easiest comparison because a tall kid, he's left-handed, he has, he's athletic, he plays in the post. But when you look at his, his highlight videos and everything, that's, to me, that's kind of what I see is like, man, he reminds me of him a little bit. I know in years in years past, basically the the junior the current junior class at times Roy's tried to make a big push in in the February March timeframe of of getting his top guys to a game in February and then ideally having them commit soon after. You can go back to Justin Jackson with that one and and Barry and even trying to get Rashad Vaughn as as somebody in in that type of uh, the February March and and take an early commitment. So uh, over the next month of, of seeing who the visitors are and, and how, how that plays out with, with how the uh, UNC coaching staff treats them. I think that's a really good point. We'll see what does happen over these next couple of months and weeks, definitely. So turning away from recruiting a little bit, you know, North Carolina just obviously had a, a big win against Clemson on 
Tuesday night. And uh, Rob and Sean, we haven't talked really this year on a podcast about your impressions on the team. So just through, I guess it's 21 games, you know, what, what do you think? My thought has been and remains that this is a very good post-title team. And I think I am going to keep that in my mind all year. Anytime I start to talk about them, this is a post-title team. And therefore, the standard that they should be held to, in my opinion, is lower when you consider what they lost. When Tony Bradley left, to me, that took them out of the running realistically as a as a repeat champion, which would have been difficult enough to do anyway. I think now that would be you know, almost miraculous because somewhere in there, they're probably going to encounter a team that just has a little bit too much for them inside. And you, you've seen them struggle with that periodically. But if you accept that as true, I think they've squeezed out you know, so many tight wins. They've shown you their championship pedigree. This isn't going to be a dominant team. You know, the, the roller coaster ride has been a lot of fun. I, I've very much enjoyed watching them. I think it, it is a very weird Carolina team to see them shooting all those threes. And when, when you find yourself saying, okay, well, now that what they need to do is you know, spread the court and look for one of the big guys inside, and then I keep catching myself, oh, no, wait, that's not the play for this team. I, I think a lot of fans are uncomfortable with it in a way because you sort of get used to criticizing Duke for playing that way, honestly. And then to see Carolina doing it at times, it's strange, but I think it is smart and it shows recognition, not only from the sidelines, but also among the players. This is who we are. I think when they were not really able to conventionally play with a center, uh, that, that might limit the ceiling a little bit, but they are a better team for it. And I, I accept what they are. I think it's a lot of fun to watch a team like this in the post-title glow. Next year, I think even with the losses, I think they'll be more balanced and maybe more dangerous. I think the the post title glow is is definitely nice and makes things makes things a lot easier. It's kind of I'd say similar to 2006 where maybe the expectations weren't as high and a lot better than 2010. As Rob said, it's been an interesting season, especially with with the three point shooting and the high minutes that the the starters are playing. I was just kind of looking at some stats and initially looking at Kempom in terms of UNC's three pointers versus overall field goals. They only rank. Uh, 268th in the country, but in ACC play, they've jumped up, and if you were only looking at the last few games, they'd be up around the top top 25 in, in three-pointer shots. So that's obviously something that UNC fans are, are not accustomed to. Ideally, uh, Theo won't be taking five threes a game, and, and that'll be more him in attack mode, but it has been a fun, you know, fun team to watch. Obviously, some head-scratching losses. You know, I think they, they definitely have a, a ceiling uh, when it comes to a Michigan State or, or one of these big athletic teams. But when you have Barry, you have Pinson, and, and you have both May and, and Williams who have, have really stepped up, uh, it makes for competitive play. You know, I think the ACC, a lot of, you know, everybody says the ACC is always one of the best conferences. But you have Duke. Uh, you have UVA, and you know right now UNC is in a very winnable stretch of games from Boston College to Clemson, and now you know they could rattle another five in a row off before they get to Duke. So they should finish you know with a strong record, and I've definitely enjoyed enjoyed watching them play. And I just wish their their bench giving them a little more. I think I think Robinson he played he played well against Clemson. I think he can be a key, and I've really liked Manley. I don't I don't think. Anybody really had any idea of what to expect of him just due to how little they'd seen him in high school. And, you know, if if he was playing enough minutes, he'd, he'd rank number three in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. So 
he's been a nice surprise, but as we, we talk about with Duke every year, can their starters sustain in the tournament playing that heavy a load? And obviously Barry and Pinson are season's veterans, but it's a little dicey when, when you start kind of playing with fire with the number of threes and the number of minutes they're, they're currently playing with. So is it is it fair for you guys to say that this team is kind of a, a Tony Bradley away from really being an upper echelon top five type team? Yeah, that was – if he had stayed, which going into the season, I think a lot of people thought he would be around as a sophomore. I mean, there's your, your answer at the five, and, and UNC is playing a more traditional Roy Williams-type lineup. So, yeah, that – you know, that loss – Loss hurt definitely um, in terms of them being in that, I'd say, championship contender mold. Sean, you brought up the minutes. Rob, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. How sustainable do you think it is that Joel Berry in particular is just being so heavily relied on and playing so many minutes? I think it's definitely uh, not ideal, and I think everyone agrees on that. I think Boy Williams definitely agrees on that, but at the same time, they can't afford to take him out if it is the difference between winning and losing. And when you look at the impact that his absence has on the team, you can certainly make the case they would be down another two or three games if they didn't have him. I mean, that might even be conservative, but probably not. But I mean, you can certainly understand why he's playing so many minutes, but I think this is where the combination of the seventh woods injury and Julie Felton's sort of sputtering so far have really hurt the team and it might end up hurting them much more. I thought actually at the end of the Clemson game that Barry's legs looked almost shot. Now that was even by his normal standards, a lot of minutes consecutively, but you can sort of see that thinking back last year too, how he sort of wore down over the course of the season. I know that they will try to avoid that, but, but somewhere in there, you know, they need to get one of the two guys going either Woods needs to come back or Felton needs to you know, get on the same page with his head coach, because otherwise I do think it will hurt them. I do think it's a concern because the players who are playing the most minutes, uh, they've all had some form of lower body injury over the last couple of years. I mean, Cam Johnson just got over his. Kenny Williams missed the last half of last season because of an, uh, a knee injury. Theo Pinson missed the f- basically the first half of last season because of a foot injury. And then we know Joel Berry's you know, propensity to have his ankles flare up on him. So that's why it, it's a little concerning is that all those guys are playing heavy, heavy minutes and they all have had, you know, kind of significant injuries over the last two years. Uh, Luke May, I don't worry about as much. He reminds me a lot of Justin Jackson in that I think he could just play 50 or 55 minutes in a game if needed be so I, I don't worry about him too much and he he has really never been injured outside of the cut to his nose on Tuesday so that's why it's concerning to me is because of the, the injury past that those four guys have yeah it's going to definitely be interesting especially you know when those Duke games come up and to see if Roy Williams is able to you know stagger the minutes if like you said Rob if Jaleek can can get on the same page as as what Roy's trying to do with the team but Thank you guys for joining the podcast. I think, Sean, what, this was the first pod that you've done since, like, what, 2016 has it been? No, it was, I was talking about Sherelle with, with us earlier, and it was, I don't know, 2014, maybe? Basically, oh, at that man. point in time, we, we, were, we were talking about how the 2015 class would be a nice-to-have, but the 2016 class was where it really mattered for UNC and their and their future and we we're talking about the the Giles and Tatum duo and obviously that all worked out for the best so it's kind of funny to look back so many years ago and see what we were all talking about and worried about then and, and how it panned out for UNC. 
Yeah, and and Rob, thanks to you for coming on. I know it's been a couple months since we've had your expertise on here, so really appreciate you joining us, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. For everyone at the Inside Carolina team, wanted to say thank you to, to all the listeners out there. As I mentioned at the very beginning, the weather in North Carolina is still pretty treacherous, so everyone be safe. We will be back later on this week with some more information on UNC basketball, and we'll talk with everyone again later on. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.